0: You have tuned in to The Whore You Know, a podcast sharing sex worker stories, opinions, and ideas told from a whore perspective, reflecting on the complexities of our professional, personal, and political experiences as they relate to the esotericism of our work. My name is Zephyr, I'm the creator of this podcast, and I'll be kicking off Season 1 with a series of true stories from the beginning of my stripping career, when I struggled to manage my reactions and anger while handling conflicts with clients and management. I tell these stories including all the juicy details and tie it in with the lessons learned in the end. I have these experiences to attribute to the wiser version of myself that is recalling these accounts of outrage. I'm gonna start off this recording with a trigger warning um, that there's PG-13 level violence in the story I'm about to tell. Um, Nobody got hurt, nothing gory, but very heightened emotions and reactionary behavior. I would caution against listening if that's triggering. Good evening whores. I am extremely thrilled to be bringing you the very first episode of my very first podcast, The Whore You Know. And on this episode, I'm going to be telling you a story about a very volatile breakup I had with a sugar daddy in Vegas while on our first vacation together. I'm going to provide a disclaimer that this is not my most flattering story. I'm not proud of it. There are parts of it that I find kind of funny. I did learn a lot. And also, there are several backstories to this story that include other sex workers. And in order to maintain their privacy, I'm going to start the story at around the point that This sugar daddy bought me tickets to go to Vegas with him just to maintain the privacy of anybody else involved in the backstory and stuff like that. So, all right, here it goes. So it was a regular summer day for me and I had woken up at around 5 p.m. as whores do in the summertime And I had a text from a customer that I knew from the club and he was asking me to go out with him that night. And I thought, ugh, what the hell, you know, I might get some money out of this. I don't really feel like going to the club. Um, And I wasn't in the best financial position at the time either. So I went out with him and we went to a wine bar, we had some wine, we had some more d'oeuvres. We got a little tipsy, and he suggested that we go to the casino. And I thought, there's some money at the casino. I'll go to the casino. And we get there, and he plays high stakes blackjack, and he very quickly won $2,000, and he very quickly takes it to the cage, cashers in his chips and he hands me the two thousand dollars and we walk around the casino some more he gives me a couple hundred dollars to play slats with we're getting drunk we're getting cute being flirty and he says come to vegas with me i'm going to vegas next week come to vegas with me and i'm like uh oh, i don't know you know i had several reservations about going to Vegas with him, um, but that sort of includes part of the backstory uh, that I won't get into. But I had some reservations, and he said, "Oh, come on, you know this is what every day is going to be like in Vegas," um, and that was a lie. That's that's not what every day was going to be like in Vegas um, because. He was having a lucky day, and if anybody's ever been to a casino before, the odds are definitely in the house's favor. Um, But I had not had much experience with the casino, and I was naive, and I believed him, and we booked the flights right then and there. In a few days, we would set off to Vegas. Um, I'm going to call the sugar daddy John. That's not his name, but just to you know, maintain his privacy. His name was John. And his friend, his best friend, let's call his best friend Carl, his best friend was also joining us on the trip. So a few days later, he picked me up and me, John and Carl all went to the airport and flew to Vegas. And we arrived later in the evening. And after we checked into the hotel and everything, we went downstairs to the casino And John and Carl played blackjack and John won $1,500 and he gave it to me, which again was really affirming, like this is what every day is going to be like in Vegas. So I thought, man, this is great. Um, And then we went to bed since it was kind of late and we had a long flight and we woke up the next day and John tells me that he booked us a cabana for the day. And so we went to the cabana, hung out by the pool, had some fruity drinks, had some cute snacks. And then when we were tired of being in the sun, we went back inside into the casino and he played some more blackjack. He won about $500. He gave it to me. And we were sitting at the bar in the casino and I was asking him, is there a spa here? He said, yeah. Do you want to get a massage? And I said, yes, I do. And so right then and there, he books me a massage. He books me the facial. He books me the whole nine yards, a whole fucking spa day for the next afternoon. Um, And then we go have some lunch together. And he expresses to me that uh, he doesn't appreciate it when women just want him for his money. And I was like, oh my God, yeah, like I totally know what you mean. You want to be, you know, liked for you, not for your money. And he was like, yeah, exactly. And I was like, you know, I feel the same way sometimes with men, but sometimes I just feel like they just like me just for my pussy and just to like have sex with me. And he was like, yeah, like it sucks that men objectify women like that. And I was like, yeah. And, you know, I was, I was kind of just throwing his manipulative bullshit right back at him, and he didn't seem to be picking up on it. Um, but we then we then went shopping, and uh, I picked myself out a couple pairs of glasses from Oliver Peoples. If you've never been to that store, those glasses are like fucking $300 to $500, probably sometimes even more. But I picked up two pairs and they amounted to about $700. And he was like, get them, get them, you know. And I go to the counter to pay for them. And I look at him, you know, when it's time to pay. And he was like, oh, you know, you can pay with the the money that we won today and yesterday. This kind of pissed me off. I'm not going to lie. It really pissed me off because he was so rich. Why wasn't he paying for my glasses? Like what kind of sugar daddy is he? And uh, you know, I per the conversation we had just had at lunch, I didn't want him to think I was just in it for the money. Part of being a sugar baby is keeping up the illusion that this is real and this isn't transactional. And that's a very difficult illusion to maintain. Anybody who's done this knows that it's very difficult to maintain that. But alas, I, I really wanted to maintain that. And I also didn't want to embarrass myself and not buy these glasses. So I I put down the $700, which really sucked because that was like, you know, 40% of what I had made on that trip so far. I think it's 40. I didn't actually do the math, but something like that. You know, that's a big chunk of what I had um made on the trip so far. And I, I definitely needed to be making money off on this trip. I wasn't at the club working that week. I was taking the whole week off and you know, I'm, uh, I'm entertaining this person. So, you know, naturally I wanted to be making some money. Um, but yeah, that was really disappointing. I let it roll off my back. I figured I would be making a lot more money on the trip. And I just figured if we go shopping again, I, I won't get anything. (laughs) cause clearly he's not going to pay for it. Um, but at least he was going to be paying for my massage the next day. And at least he was paying for this cabana and my food and this nice hotel and you know, all this stuff. So I was like, Hey, you know, it's not so bad. I'm going to stay grateful. And, uh, yeah, then we went back to the casino and we met up with his friend, Carl and John and Carl uh, wanted to play some more blackjack, and uh, when they were playing, they they both started losing pretty quickly. And then they they did the right thing; they walked away from blackjack, and they said, "You know, uh, what do you wanna what do you wanna play?" And I said, "I I like roulette." And they said, okay. And so we go to the roulette table and I'm, I'm looking at John, you know, waiting for him to give me some money to gamble with. And he says, don't you have some money? And I was like, no, I, I put it in my suitcase upstairs. I didn't want to um, be carrying all that money on me anymore. Just in case, you know, um, should I go get it? And he looks really frustrated and he hands me $200 to play. And he says, here. And I feel that this was the first moment that John started to realize that maybe I was just in it for the money. And I feel like part of that was just a projection because he was very angry that he was losing Blackjack. And I was a good scapegoat to blame for that. And so... I played roulette, I played and played and played, kept losing, kept losing, kept losing, and on the very last round, I won all my money back, plus like 50 bucks. I went to the cage, and I cashed it out, and I put it in my purse, which also probably pissed off John. And John and Carl wanted to go back to play some more blackjack. I then watched a fucking train wreck, In about the span of 30 minutes, I watched John gamble away about eight grand in 30 minutes. Yes, 30 minutes. Carl had already walked away, which was smart of him because, you know, they were both losing and Carl topped out much sooner. But I don't know, John was just blowing off some steam. I could tell he was very pissed off. He would hardly even look at me. He seemed like he wasn't having a good time anymore, which made me very nervous. Um, But they both decided that we should go to the strip club. And we get there. We're having a great time. We're drinking. I'm getting some lap dances from some strippers. I actually got a double lap dance from two strippers. And... Of course, John paid for the lap dances, and he gave them each a $20 tip. But they were kind of looking at me, and I also felt like $20 wasn't enough. These strippers deserved more money, and John had it. So I thought that I would try to say something cute to get John to give me a money in a way that wasn't going to you know, be too obvious or whatever, hurt his feelings too much. So I pressed my boobs together and I said, put some more right here. Thinking that he would just be so infatuated with my tits that he would just put some money in there. And I was doing that because I figured he would put the money in there and then I would hand it to the stripper's that just gave me a lap dance so that they could get a bigger tip. Um, But I don't know. I was drunk. I don't know why I thought that would be a good way to get the tip. But in my head, it seemed like a good way. I was probably dissociating a bit because I knew John from the strip club. And that's how I was used to, you know, interacting with him and collecting tips with him and other customers. You know, I'm just like, oh, yeah, put more here. And John really didn't like that I did that, actually. And he stood up and he got in my face. And by the way, Carl's sitting right here watching all this happen. Um, And the strippers are still waiting for, you know, more, a bigger tip. They're watching this happen too. And John points directly in my face and says, you're just in it for the money. He thinks I was trying to collect that money for myself. (laughs) And you know, he's in my face and he's, and he's repeating himself. He's telling me more about how I'm just in it for the money and I don't actually like him. And, you know, I'm using him and all of this stuff. And he's really just yelling in my face and I don't appreciate it. And I want him to stop and everything's spinning. I'm so drunk on tequila. Right. And I just, I don't know what came over me, but I slapped him in the face I freaked out. I just slapped him so hard across his fucking face. And Carl stands up and he's like, you shouldn't have done that. And John, he walks away. He's pissed. He walks away. He's like, I'm done. I'm done. And the two strippers, they're standing there. One of them says to me, she goes, you're in the wrong for that. (sighs) That was a hard, that was a hard pill to swallow. I was like, damn, you're not on my side. I was kind of mad at her. I'm not going to lie. I was like, fuck that bitch. But that's because it was such a hard pill to swallow. It wasn't until I sobered up that I realized that maybe she was right. Um, Maybe I did fuck that up. Maybe I was in the wrong. And I was. I shouldn't have, you know, chose violence in that moment. It wasn't the right thing to do. Um... It wasn't going to make the situation any better. It wasn't a good way to convince him that I wasn't there for the money. It was it was completely reactionary. Um, I'm going to blame it on the alcohol. <laughs> no, not really. I, I'm going to blame it on myself, you know? And that was like, that was a bad move, okay? But it's kind of funny. It's kind of funny. And he kind of deserved it, like low key. <sighs> I think he kind of deserved it. But whatever, you know, I, I should have kept my client and that was not a good way to keep him around. So I fucked up, you know, I got to admit that. And it was really hard to hear it from like another stripper, another person in my industry who I, I value this person's, this, this person's opinion of me. I respect this person and I want them to respect me too. And it was obvious that she didn't respect me. It was obvious that, you know, she thought that I was bad at my job. Or at least in that moment, she thought that and she didn't know me, you know, but she she knew I fucked up and she wasn't wrong. And um, yeah, took me some time to realize and come to terms with that. But anyway, so the story continues. So I'm freaking out, right? I, I don't know what to do. So I just go, I I'm fucking just getting out of the club, sitting on the curb, like crying just sobbing like a crazy drunk person the bouncer was looking at me like he was fucking pissed you know he was not liking that I was sitting at the front door just sobbing like an idiot and I'm trying to call Carl because I know John doesn't want to talk to me and I'm trying to uh figure out you know where they are and what's what the fuck is going on And Carl, Carl talks to me on the phone, you know, he was, bless his heart, he was trying to diffuse and mediate the situation, um, and good for him for doing that, but, uh, he was like, you know, John wants you to leave, and I was like, well, where am I supposed to go? Um, I don't have a, uh, ticket home for another several days, and- I can't afford to stay out in Vegas. Like, what am I going to do? And he, he consults John and John basically says in some words, tough shit. And they come that they're like, okay, where are you? Cause they knew that, you know, at a minimum, they wanted me to come get my bags out of the hotel. And, uh, so we went back to the hotel room and I pack up my bag and while I'm packing up my bag, I put some of John's things in my bag. I put a designer shirt. I can't remember what designer it was, but I gave it to my mom, actually. I put a designer shirt that he had bought when we went shopping um, in my bag. I put his Dyson hair dryer in my bag. So John and Carl are standing there, not paying too much attention to me, but basically waiting for me to be done packing up my bags. And, uh, John's getting sick of waiting. So he asked me, are you done yet? Are you done packing? Can you leave? And I said, Oh, I'm not going anywhere. I'm just packing up my bag. And he was like, well, why aren't you leaving? I said, well, you need to buy me a plane ticket home now. I want to get on the next flight home. And uh, yeah, it's about like five in the morning at this point, right? So there should be like an 8 a.m., 7 a.m. flight or something like that. And John says, No, I'm not giving you a flight home. You have to figure this out on your own. And I was like, mm, No, you need to buy me a flight home. And he says, No, I'm not going to. And I said, Okay. I took my passport out of my purse and i put it on the the dresser in the hotel room and i said john i'm going to tell the people at this hotel that i don't know you and you stole my passport and that you're trying to abduct me <laughs> which was crazy i don't know why i said that and i don't know how that would have worked but <laughs> i said that crazy weird shit um you know, in my literal coked out, tequila it out state. And uh, John was not he wasn't phased by that. So I had to do something more extreme. And so I started ripping I he had shirts hung up in the closet in the hotel room. I started ripping his shirts in half. I literally just started fucking ripping them in half. I was freaking out. I ripped three shirts and John was like, "Stop! Stop!" You know, he wasn't putting his hands on me or anything. Thank God he wasn't as violent of a person as I am, or as as I was at that time. I've I've tried to work on that. You know, work on my tendencies towards violence. Um, but yeah, you know, he's telling me to stop. He's getting pissed off. I'm like, "Yeah, I'll stop when you when you agree to buy me some plane tickets." And Carl's like, "John, you gotta." You got to get her a plane ticket, you know? And John's like, no, I don't. You know, I'm not getting her a plane ticket. Fuck her. You know, I was like, oh, yeah, fuck me. And there's a fucking hot, there's a, a hot pot of coffee that John and Carl had made when we got back to the hotel room and I had initially been packing my bag. And there was still quite a bit of coffee in there. And I took the pot of coffee and I dumped it all over the hotel bed with the white bedding and i was like i'll fuck everything up in this hotel and you'll have to pay for it like i'm gonna fuck all this shit up if you don't get me this plane ticket (laughs) i'm freaking out at this point you know i'm just doing whatever crazy weird shit i can do um and that the coffee on the bed and me screaming all that crazy shit was kind of the last straw and carl was like all right that's it he was like i'm I'm going to take you to the airport. Um, And I was like, all right, fine. You know, at least somebody's going to take me to the airport. So me and Carl go to the airport. Um, John stays behind. And as soon as we get to the airport, John calls Carl and he says, "Uh, Carl, I need you to look in her bag because I believe that she stole my Dyson hairdryer. He didn't notice the designer shirt, um, but I, I was like, "Oh come on, Carl, this is ridiculous! I didn't steal John's hair dryer." Are you kidding me? Why would I do that? And he's like, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to go in your bag." And I was like, "God damn it!" You know, I want this guy to buy me a ticket. You know, so he goes in my bag and he finds the hair dryer and he pulls it out and he was like. Hmm. What's this? I was like, Oh, that's weird. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know how that ended up in there. And he was like, well, I'm going to take this. I was like, all right, fair enough. You know? And we go, uh, we go up to the ticket counter and he buys me a ticket for the next flight, which was taking off in about an hour from then. And, uh, yeah, he leaves. I get on the flight. And I go home and I never talked to John or Carl ever again. Um, I feel like I already addressed some of the mistakes that I made here. There were some other mistakes that I made along the way that are more a part of the backstory, which, like I said, I'm not not telling that part of the story. Um, but you know, as far as this portion of the story goes, I, I really, uh, fucked up in the way that I chose violence. Um, I felt very righteous about it for a long time. I felt like, well, he fucking deserved it. He deserved it. He's a fucking asshole. You know, why was he in my face like that? And why did that bitch stripper tell me that I was in the wrong? why did she say that? Fuck her. You know, <laughs> I was doing a lot of mental gymnastics to justify my actions. And, uh, you know, it's a wound, um, that I have. I, I'm very triggered by men getting close to my face. There's a lot about my personal backstory that explains, you know, why I don't like men getting close to my face. Um, but you know, as as I learned about triggers, that uh, it's my job to learn how to manage my triggers and know how to respond in a way that isn't going to be volatile or harmful to myself or to other people around me. I really feel that I harmed myself a lot in this situation. I caused myself a lot of stress and grief. I feel that I also obviously caused John harm by slapping him in the face and I caused Carl and those two strippers harm by, um, sort of forcing them to witness something like that. Um, and I, I definitely feel badly about that looking back. Um, and I learned a big lesson there also, um, needless to say, I, uh, did not, get to do my spa day the next day or ever, um, since I went back home and, uh, karma got me a little bit because I did lose, uh, most of the cash that I had left from that trip and only had a small portion of it, uh, left when I got back home and that really sucked. But, um, you know, I, I spent a lot of time feeling very righteous about the harm that I caused because I felt that John was such a huge asshole in this situation. I felt like he was blaming me for him gambling away eight thousand dollars. And in a way he was. He was he was very much taking that out on me, and he was very much um insecure that he needed my company and that he needed to compensate me for giving him company. Uh, a lot of a lot of customers have this issue. They're very insecure. Um, but I can acknowledge that I can acknowledge his shortcomings while also maintaining a level of responsibility for my own shortcomings. Um, but for a long time, I just simply justified my shortcomings because I focused very much on his shortcomings. And the only way for me to have personal growth is for me to have more of a focus towards myself uh, than the other way around. And uh, sometimes that, that makes for hard lessons, for hard pills to swallow. Um, and you know, it's still a journey. I'm not perfect. I'm still learning. I'm still growing. Um, I'm still working on some of my tendencies towards violence. Um, but, uh, I think it's been a good few years since I've hit a customer. (laughs) So I'm, I'm really happy about that. And I think the other main takeaway here is just making sure that when you're first starting a new relationship with a sugar daddy, make sure that you and him are having a discussion about boundaries and expectations. Because while men want to maintain an illusion that our work isn't transactional, At the end of the day, it is, and, um, they're just going to have to face that and going to have to just get this discussion out of the way in the beginning so that, uh, events don't play out like they did in the story that I just told. I feel that if there was, um, better communication and better boundaries and expectations laid out in the first place, that... The story wouldn't have played out in the way that it did. Um, I realize that these discussions can be quite awkward sometimes, but I do think that it's 100% worth it in the end, and I think that it, um, it keeps you safe. And that wraps up the first episode of The Whore You Know. Thank you so much for tuning in. I hope that you enjoyed listening to this story. I hope that you learned something from it. And I hope that you continue to support my Patreon page so that uh, you can listen to these podcasts. Uh, also, if you would like to follow The Whore You Know on Instagram, our at is the same as our Patreon at, so it's gonna be The Whore You Know, but with The Whore, it's going to be a 0 instead of an O, and a 3 instead of the E, so that it's coded for the Instagram algorithm that wants to erase all of our voices. this is zephyr with the whore you know and i want to thank you once again for tuning in have a great day